Non-stop shock radio. The station that shocks you. Renegade Talk Radio. All right, this is the Luke Giovanni Show, live from Las Vegas, Studio D and Renegade Talk Radio. We don't sugarcoat shit. The number one shock radio network in America. We're going to get this going for you right now. Have a great program. Right, my name is Luke Algevani. I am the national crime reporter for examiner.com, political reporter for examiner.com, one of the biggest websites in America. I'm a columnist for Anti-Media, and congratulations to them for recently reaching 1 million likes on Facebook. I'm the editor of WTF Magazine, editor-in-chief of rulers-politics.com, and editor-in-chief of We Survive Bush, You'll Survive Obama, one of the biggest political discussion communities on the internet, and has recently reached over a billion clicks. So we bring a lot of information out to individuals. Today... I like to start my programs with underreported news, stories that have not received as much attention as they should considering the severity of the altercation and the charges. We're going to begin by talking about the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, Kathleen Kane. I'm sure most individuals have never heard of Kathleen Kane, and why would they? Because she's not being talked about. So, Kathleen Kane, by the way, was the first woman and Democrat elected to the position of Attorney General in 2012. So, after an eight-month investigation... Kane is being charged with perjury, false swearing, abuse of official position, official repression, obstructing administrative law, and contempt of court. And she's a Democrat, by the way, and I know I have a lot of leftist fans, so I just wonder what you think about that before I even tell you what she did. So, the trouble stems from a 2009 grand jury investigation, which the state of Pennsylvania says that uh, A.G. Kane released information from a grand jury illegally now the 2009 probe was about the former head of the NAACP a man by the name of Jay Wyatt Mons Desire and uh detailed information about the investigation was published in June 2014 by the Philadelphia Daily News now why why is this why are we even talking about this well prosecutors say that Kane releases information which was illegal and was part of an elaborate vendetta of revenge that she personally oversaw Now, the reason the release of the information was illegal is a disclosure order was not granted prior to the information's release, which is required to a grand jury investigation. So she immediately broke the law by putting this information out because she wanted to sandbag somebody. I'm going to tell you exactly why. As payback for an article that was published about Kane in March of 2014 called Kathleen Kane shut down a probe of Philly Democrats. So we have a Democrat covering up for Democrats in Pennsylvania. I wonder what people think about that. So the article detailed allegations that Kane was personally responsible for not pursuing the prosecutions of individuals who had been caught in an undercover sting of bribing politicians. Now, the problem was that the investigation was opened by the previous Pennsylvania Attorney General, Frank Fina, but Fina left office before he had time to see the investigation through. And as soon as Kane assumed office, suddenly, miraculously, coincidentally, the investigation shut down. How, do, how does that make people the investigation shut down? So, Kane says that she did not continue on with the investigation because that the investigation was not set up properly and she believes it was racially motivated. Now, it's very interesting that she will say that the investigation was racially motivated 
when later she's been indicted for releasing information on, a, on the former chair of the NAACP. So it's racially motivated. She won't prosecute. And then she wants to sandbag one of the biggest, most racially motivated organizations in America. Doesn't make any sense. It's exasperating, ladies and gentlemen, for me even to have to describe this to you because it's a policy story. People don't care about this stuff. But this is somebody who's in charge of prosecuting all the criminals in Pennsylvania. You know, this is the top cop in Pennsylvania. This is the top law enforcement position. This is the top law enforcement official. So for somebody to do something, for, for this individual to do this, to me is despicable and egregious. And I'm sure nobody's even heard of this. But look up Kathleen Kane. So initially, after Kathleen Kane sandbagged this member of the NAACP, she did so because a story came out which, which Kane says was released by Frank Fina in retribution for her not continuing the prosecutions that he originally started. So Kane says that she is being part of a witch hunt and that she has done no wrong whatsoever. Which, if you look at the grand jury investigation, you can go ahead and check this out and search Kathleen Kane because the entire 64-page dossier has been released on her with a long list of it's impossible for her to not been involved if the grand jury uh, proceedings information that's been presented are true. Now, Kane says that she's looking forward to defending herself in court and that she denies all allegations whatsoever. However, this was in June, and then Kane was brought in to testify in November of 2014. And her testimony has been proved, or it will be proved in the court of law. Right now, she's innocent, okay? Everybody's innocent in America until they're proved guilty. However... The evidence against her, in my opinion, is quite damning. I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not on the jury. However, she swore under oath that she had no knowledge whatsoever of the 2009 memorandum about the NAACP co-chair. She said that she didn't even know it existed until she walked into the courtroom that day. Now, how are you not going to have information on a memorandum when you're the top cop, the top lawyer in the state? How are you not going to have any information on this when you're going to court to defend yourself to be deposed? It doesn't make any sense. You would think that somebody at that high level would have a little bit more of an understanding about the lies that they're about to tell. So automatically, that's perjury. Automatically, that's obstruction. So the, 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 this story goes deep and far. Uh, there, there, there's going to be a, a deep trial for Ms. Kane. She could face many years in prison, but as of right now, she's refused to resign or recuse herself from office. So the story is still developing. We're going to follow this story on Renegade Talk Radio. We're going to continue on to let the public know about the despicable actions of Ms. Kane. Now, since I was a Democrat, and since I'm an independent journalist, I want to talk about a Republican Attorney General who is equally as dirty down in good old state of Texas. This story has also been widely underreported. I'm not sure if individuals are aware of this. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who's only been the Attorney General since 2015. He just came in office this year, and already he's embroiled in a scandal a few months later. Though, in my opinion, it's not, it's not as dubious, okay? It's not as bad. So, Kane is releasing information, but Mr. Paxson is involved in securities fraud. Uh, he's, been he's been indicted by a county grand jury on felony charges that he committed securities fraud and failed to register with the state securities board. Uh, Mr. Uh, Paxson was reprimanded last year for this very thing, and he was, he was fined a whole $1,000 for committing securities fraud. Big, big surprise there. I bet you do everybody on the jury. Uh, you know, the good old boy Neckford down there in Texas. Uh, we don't have to get into that. Everybody knows how that happens and what exists. Texas is its own entity and its own uh, third world country built onto America in terms of its legal system. However, 
after he received the $1,000 fine. A liberal watchdog group called Texans for Public Justice filed a complaint last year saying that the punishment was insufficient and that the 52-year-old conservative should face criminal prosecution. And after that watchdog group came out with their report, there has been more public pressure to see Mr. Paxson actually prosecuted for using his position to make money. And who has a problem with that? You think it's a good idea for an individual who's the top cop in Texas, which has all types of problems, to be using his position to make money, to defraud the American public, to skirt uh, securities rules, in my opinion, that's justice. There's no, there's no uh, partisan nature happening here. Now, Mr. Paxson, you know, he's facing a first-degree felony, and uh, that's punishable from anywhere from five years to 99 years in prison for doing this. So here's a guy who got a $1,000 fine, and he could have got 99 years in prison. So yeah, maybe it should warrant a second look. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it should. Maybe we should look at that. Uh, the, the, the district attorney, Greg Willis, who's a, for, who's a friend of Mr. Paxson, recused himself in April of this because he did not want to have any type of site of impropriety, which is a good thing. I'm glad that he did that. That's a step in the right direction. But we know the good old boy now in Texas, this thing is probably going to get buried because all he got was a $1,000 fine. Now he's facing 99 years in prison for this. It doesn't make any sense, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is, this is the problem of Texas justice. So... The, uh, the indictment of, a, of Attorney General Ken Paxton, they're demanding his resignation. Now, the state's, high law, the, the state's highest law enforcement officer must be held to the highest standards of conduct. And Ken Paxton's behavior disqualifies him from serving at Texas's top cop. This story, too, we will follow on Renegade Talk Radio. We'll tell you all about it. We're going to keep you up to date, and uh, we'll be right back. Thank you. Do you ever feel sad, anxious, or depressed? Then ask your doctor if Zyban is right for you. Zyban may cause dry mouth, nausea, a low incidence of sexual side effects, loss of appetite, cramping. Oh, back up a little. Read that side effect again. What? You mean dry mouth? No, it was after that. Nausea. Keep going. Loss of appetite, cramping. No, you said it has a low incidence of sexual side effects. I may have. It's a long disclaimer. Well, what kind of sexual side effects? Sexual side effects that don't include dry mouth, nausea, loss of appetite. Oh, stop it. Just tell me what kind of sexual side effects you're talking about. The kind of which there is a low incidence. Oh, that could mean anything. Look, do you have a girlfriend? Uh, No. What does that have to do with it? Then a low incidence of sexual side effects isn't going to crap your style. If I were you, I'd be more worried about possible sudden hair loss. You, you didn't mention hair loss. You didn't give me a chance. It was three down the list. But right after a burning sensation when you go to the bathroom. Oh, great. Now I really feel depressed. Then ask your doctor about Zyban. Ah! Your side effects may vary. Blunt. Do you like to be blunt? Absolutely. We don't sugarcoat shit. Listen, Listen Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific Standard Time. You'll hear things you've never heard before. Renegade Talk Radio. Uh, we're back. Renegade Talk Radio. This is the Lou Calgiovanni Show. Renegade Talk Radio, the number one shock network in America. We're live from Las Vegas, Studio D. I have a special guest in the studio today. The boss is here. He's watching me. He wants to see if I'm worthy of his time and effort and acclaim. So I hope individuals will make me look good for the big boss. 
Admirable C- Admiral C.B. Witherspoon III is joining me. Welcome, sir. Please don't fire me. Oh, man, I can't fire you yet. Not yet. No, keep <laughs> it up. We're going to get you out of here now. Hey, you know what? He's carrying a gun. I'm very scared of this man. I don't want, I don't want anything to happen. We're in an open carry state here in, in Nevada, you know, so welcome, sir. Thank you, sir. I've got a 38 in my little side pocket here. He's not joking, ladies and gentlemen. He's not. I can see the bulge right there. And there's another bulge, but that's not the one we're going to discuss. That's, hey. not, that's my Ashley Madison bulge. Oh! <laughs> and we're going to get right into the Ashley Madison controversy Wait. with the Admiral. Just be nice. My name's only in there three times. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Go. Well, knock them dead out there. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. So we're going to get into this Ashley Madison leak. It's been, uh, it's been the story of the nation. And there's, I'm going to make several points to you, ladies and gentlemen. You may agree, you may not agree, but this is my opinion. And since I'm a professional, maybe my opinion might be worth a little more than yours. I don't know. We'll talk about this. So the leak has been happening. I'll tell you right now, I find the leak to be hilarious. It's one of the greatest things that's happened to journalism in a long time. Uh, the first point that I want to make about the Ashley Madison scandal is because I, was a, I, I, I am a big advocate for privacy and I'm outrageously disgusted by the American government and how our privacy has been invaded by the NSA, how every telephone call, every text message, every email has been recorded by the government for the last 15 years. Your post, your, your mail from the United States post office is being photographed. Every single piece of mail, the NSA has a program called interdiction where they are inserting recording equipment into people's computers you can go ahead and check that out i'm against that stuff now you want to talk about ashley madison that is not an invasion of privacy not an invasion of privacy as it relates to the government you have a constitutional right to privacy from the government but you do not have a constitutional right to privacy from me as a journalist you don't have privacy from that i have the freedom of speech there's the freedom of press involved here that's why celebrities get followed around by paparazzi you can't get a restraining order against these people Unless individuals are harassing them and stalking them, something like that. But stalking isn't going on now. It's information to the public. It seems to be how individuals confuse the freedom of speech, where they say, well, I have the freedom of speech. I can say anything that I want to. No, you have the freedom of speech, so you can't be censored by the government. So the government cannot impose sanction upon you with the freedom of speech. But you can't say anything that you want without repercussion from private entities and private citizens because they, too, can use their, pre- their freedom of speech against you. This just seems to be a small point that's lost of nuance on the American people. So, Ashley Madison. 36 million names have been released. And, of course, the most prominent that we know about today is the, uh, the conservative hero, Christian folk hero, Josh Duggar who's already come out and admitted to it, admitted on cheating on his wife, said he's a big hypocrite after you're already admitted to, you know, molesting his sisters and all this good stuff. What a great moral statute for America that individual is. Everybody's talking about Ashley Madison. Uh, a good friend of mine, fellow journalist, editor-in-chief of Got News, is named uh, Charles C. Johnson. Everybody knows Johnson. He's been described by New York, uh, the New York, uh, New York Magazine as the Darth Vader of the internet, the most hated man on the internet. He's been banned from Twitter for doing absolutely nothing wrong. So Johnson has been going around saying that he has already collected several dozen names of congressional staffers, of individuals high up in legislating in uh, America today, and he's going to start releasing this information. And first, he's going to start targeting staffers. And he says, listen, I'm going to make you a deal that the police make. You give me something on your boss or you are next. And Johnson has already exposed an individual from the Washington Post. Uh, the name is uh, Dan Steinberg. And uh, 
According to his Twitter account, he's a sports columnist for the Washington Post. Now, Steinberg denies the allegations and says he never registered for Ashley Madison. However, you have to understand that this leak of information, which I have, by the way, all 10 point something gigabytes of information sitting on my computer, and I just love to pour through that every night. It's like Christmas to me every day, and I'm going to be looking through it for months and months and months, as many other individuals will. So Steinberg says that he didn't do anything. He, he had no part of it. He doesn't understand why his name's in there. But here's the kicker, because it's more than just email addresses. It's IP addresses. It's credit card information. Now Steinberg used his official post uh, email address to register. Now here's the thing, because you can put in an email address. Anybody can put in an email address, like Tony Blair's in there from the UK. Now, obviously, anybody can put in Tony Blair's email address. However... The records show that Steinberg confirmed the email. So who else had access to Steinberg's email other than himself? So he's already been outed. There's a lot more information to come out. Uh, Mr. Johnson's going to come on the program. We're going to talk about this, racial issues, and a bunch of other stuff in uh, an episode or two. Now, excuse me, because we have to talk about, uh, it's a tragic situation. Uh, the, The first death from the Ashley Madison leaks, allegedly, has happened. Now, there's an individual committed suicide um, just the other day down in San Antonio. Actually, a member of the San Antonio Police Department, um, Captain Michael Gore, I'm a 25-year veteran of the SAPD, killed himself last Thursday with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. His name was in there along with two other Sandy, uh, San Antonio Police Department officials. Now, is there evidence to show that this is why the captain shot himself in the head can we ever prove that there is not a suicide note so we can't prove it but it's quite coincidental that this happened now there are certain people that say since these hackers release the information now today they have blood on their hands now do you think that that's true america renegade nation do you think that's true that people who release this information have the captain's blood on their hands i don't believe that's true you know th- this is just something I- People go out and do things. You have a you you do not have a right to privacy against individuals. If you're exposed in the public and you do not want the public to know about these things, maybe you should sit at home and not do shit like this. Maybe it might be an idea. I don't know. Maybe you should just behave yourself rather than putting yourself in this position. I've dealt with a situation like this similar. If you look at my story on anti media called "Exposed: Indiana Police Are Covering Up a Gay Cop's Lover's Death," which I published in April uh, regarding uh, Officer Gregory Slavin of the Indianapolis uh, Metropolitan Police Department. After I published the story, a few weeks later, Officer Slavin committed suicide. And a lot of individuals said that I had his blood on my hands, which I do not accept. I do not accept that to be true. I published the facts. I published the truth. The truth is being published about these people, and somehow it's my fault and other individuals' fault because the truth has come out, and they cannot bear the weight of their sins that they have committed themselves in hope of staying in secret. It doesn't make any sense to me. It, it, it speaks to the lack of responsibility in the American populace in which to begin, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, you go ahead and think about that. This story's going to be going on for a very, very long time. And here on Renegade Talk Radio, the most offensive, the most shocking network in America, we're going to keep on telling you all the dirty details. And they're going to be coming a whole lot more. So I'm going to go ahead and close this right now. And we'll be right back. Thank you very much.
what's up? Holla at your boy. XOXOXO. You getting these texts? Question mark. Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. That's not cool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Are your freedoms being destroyed? Like free speech? Shut up! Then fucking stay here and be blunt about it. Shut up! Will you shut up? Be right back. All right, welcome back. Luke Eldorani Show. Renegade Talk Radio. Most offensive, shocking radio network in America. We don't sugarcoat shit. Live from Studio D. I'm going to talk to you a little bit today now about Black Lives Matter. But first, I have to preface my next bit of information with some criticisms that I hear from listeners that say, Lou, aren't you worried about being a little offensive? Aren't you worried about turning off your audience? And the answer is emphatically no. I'm not worried about what you guys think at all, quite frankly, because I'm giving you the information. I'm giving you the facts. Now, the problem is in America, you have to give individuals the facts and you have to be nice about it. Because if you give information that isn't presented in a kind way, they don't accept the information. They'd rather live in their delusions. So I have to ask you, would you like me to cut the crust off of your bread for you? I'm going to hold your hand and brush your hair and whisper sweet things in your ear while I try and tell you what's wrong with our country. Because that seems to be the premise of what's going on in our country today with a lot of individuals who just won't accept this information. So with that in mind, I may offend some listeners now when I discuss Black Lives Matter. Oh, what is Black Lives Matter? Uh, First of all, it's a movement of individuals who are against police violence against black people. It's a very simple concept. And that's where I believe Black Lives Matter has 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 already began to fall short, ladies and gentlemen. Because when you say Black Lives Matter, it brings about all this different conjecture about all lives matter and Spanish lives matter and blah, blah, blah. To me, it's, it's redundant. The messaging problem with Black Lives Matter is the movement should have initially been called Black People Against Police Violence Committed Against Other Black People. Okay? That's what it should be called. People could understand what that is at the moment. Now, besides that messaging problem, and keep in mind, I was one of the original journalists who was covering Occupy Wall Street years ago. I went to Occupy encampments all across the country, in Indiana and Texas and California. We had all types of robust conversations, and they, too, had messaging problems. And I, as it happens, on top of being a journalist, I'm also a political consultant available for hire at L. Calgivani at consultant.com. If you want my services and you what I'm saying, do you make sense? Why don't you go ahead and give me a, give me a call? I'm expensive, but, you know, you can hire me anyway. So Black Lives Matter's initial problem on top of a messaging problem is using Mike Brown as a martyr. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is absolutely absurd. Let me tell you this plain and simple real quick. Mike Brown was a criminal. If anybody deserved to be killed by a police officer, it was Mike Brown. Now, the reason that the public doesn't understand this, the reason that people don't understand this simple point is Mike Brown. He had individuals. He had a witness who went around on NBC ABC, CBS, Fox, Al Jazeera for a month. This man went around on network news to the entire nation saying that he witnessed by himself Mike Brown being shot with his hands up. And there was evidence immediately that showed that Mike Brown had a gunshot wound in his hand. And that was a widely reported story. The networks ran with it. Ed Infinium, 
But the problem was this individual came back a month later and he said that he did not see Mike Brown shot with his hands up. As a matter of fact, he had fabricated the entire story. That that part of the bet, that little bet didn't receive nearly as much traction in the media. Gee, I wonder why. Now, the reason Mike Brown had a wound in his hand, because indeed he did. He had a cauterized wound on his hand, ladies and gentlemen. You know how a cauterized wound happens. I shall tell you. It was from a close impact shot on his hand, which means that the gun was right next to his hand and the gunpowder hit the wound on his hand and burned it closed. Now, we know this because after the forensic investigation from the Justice Department came out, it showed that Mike Brown had reached into Officer Wilson's car, attempted to disarm Officer Wilson while he was still sitting in his car. And Wilson, fighting for his life, pulled out his weapon, shot Brown in the hand, and here's the kicker. The bullet went on the inside panel of Wilson's car. They dug it out, had Brown's DNA. So... Using Mike Brown as a martyr in the Black Lives Movement is a mistake. And people who are saying Mike Brown was murdered, Mike Brown deserved to die, if anybody deserved to die, at the hands of police. You want to try and take a weapon from a cop? Hey, you know what? You get what you have coming to you. That's my opinion. So, ladies and gentlemen, that right there in and of itself bothers me because millions of people still today, Mike Brown was murdered. He was not. Mike Brown had it coming, okay? Now, the second problem that I have with Black Lives Matter is it happens. I'm a Sicilian individual. I'm, I'm pretty pale. You have to work hard to stay this pale, living in 150-degree heat in the desert. But since I'm white, even though I'm a political consultant, even though I'm a journalist, even though I am one of the only journalists on the planet Earth who has covered every single police shooting in America, even though I'm an expert on the subject, my opinion does not matter to many factions of the Black Lives Matter movement because I'm white. Does that make sense to anybody Your opinions suddenly make no sense. Your opinions, if you don't have the correct skin color, you cannot contribute to the conversation. Does that make sense to anybody? To me, I don't understand how a a, a racial group can say that there's discrimination happening in America and then they want to discriminate against an entire race of people. Listen, I understand white people and black people have had serious problems in America. I'm not trying to make light of those. I'm trying to show the redundancy and the problems with this messaging because I agree that there are problems with police shooting unarmed black people in America. It's a problem. I know that it's a problem. But to say that if you're white, you can't contribute to the conversation, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't make sense. Not in America. Okay? So let's just get that out of the way. Now, I want to talk to you about one of the leaders of one of the factions of the Black Lives Matter movement named Sean King. And I think that this story about Mr. King speaks to a point that the Black Lives Matter movement has been making. You know, the first story about the Black Lives Matter movement wasn't necessarily about police violence. It was about uh, hijacking presidential uh, rallies. They hijacked Hillary Clinton. They hijacked Jeb Bush, which I was there. They hijacked Bernie Sanders. And now the next story is Sean King. And Sean King is a leader. And his, his race has been called into question. It's been a trending story. You know, just like the Rachel Duzier story where she, was, she faked her race. She faked that she was black and she was a professor of African-American studies. She was head of the NAACP. She faked her race. Now they brought out Breitbart and uh, conservative media has brought out a different story about Sean King, uh, which has been discredited, by the way, if you believe Sean King's story, because Sean King's birth certificate shows a white mother, shows a white father. But Sean King has come out and said, listen, my mom had an affair years ago. My father's black. I don't know who my father is. Well, you know, and I, and I believe Mr. King's story. You know, and I know people, we need to have a DNA test. We need to 
need to get this these genetics coded and checked. That, that To me, that's a little absurd. I'm going to take his word for it. But my point about all of this is, rather than talking about the movement, now we're talking about this single individual. Rather than talking about police violence in America, he, the, the media proves Mr. King's point. They prove that they'd rather talk about these skewed issues rather than the issue as a whole. Does, does, does that make not does, is that incomprehensible to anybody listening to how are you, the media is using this single individual to paint the Black Lives Matter movement as, as a group of fakes, as a group of phonies? They have legitimate grievances in America. They have messaging problems. They have exclusion problems. But this Sean King situation is not a problem. And that's the main story being discussed in America. And the media proves the Black Lives Matters movement point by doing so. So now that we have that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement recently uh, got into a little bit of a debate with Hillary Clinton. And this story has been widely reported, but I have a, I have a take on it I'd, I'd like to share with you. You know, one of the main criticisms of the conversation, you go ahead and look it up. You know, find it for yourself. Have a look at the video. It's a couple of videos broken up, nine, ten minutes. One of the main criticisms of Hillary Clinton was that she was standing there while this individual was giving her a, a two, three-minute speech. She was standing there nodding her head saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was standing here doing that, and the criticism was she's mocking them. She's not listening to them. And to me, and listen, I'm no Hillary Clinton fan. Listen to my previous programs. Read my work. I'm not a Hillary Clinton fan. But this criticism of her is bizarre. It does not make any sense. So think about it. What could she have done to appease these individuals who are laying criticism at her doorstep? What could she have done? If she stood there silent, they would say, oh, Hillary Clinton isn't acknowledging him while he speaks. She's so rude. If Hillary Clinton had interjected, because he gave a long speech and asked a lot of questions, had she, inter- had she interjected it or interrupted at any point, then she would have been disrespectful at interrupting the individual. So it's just a case where certain political figures cannot win, no matter what they do. Now, there are legitimate gripes once you get past that point, once you get past that just base, nonsensical criticism. The conversation was really more about, did Hillary Clinton support a quote-unquote white supremacist bill? And the fact of the matter is she did. She did support a white supremacist bill. They talked about a crime bill in 1994 that Clinton enthusiastically supported and that President Bill Clinton signed. And uh, they talked about how Hillary Clinton views that bill now. Now, the crux of the conflict, in my opinion, is this. The Black Lives Matter movement sees the 1994 crime bill and the quote-unquote tough-on-crime bill, as as they would say, as the Black Lives Matter movement with individual representatives would say, it is an extension of white supremacist violence against communities of color. And Hillary Clinton agreed that the criminal justice system needs to be reformed. But during the conversation, she did not accept the characterization of the bill that it is uh, white supremacist violence. Now, Bill Clinton's already come out. And he's apologized for this several times. And he said, I was wrong. I made the wrong position. I took the wrong position. I'm responsible for some of this. But Hillary Clinton denies any racist intent in, in these criminal policies. Now, when we start to talk about this, because racial issues are just so sensitive in America, when you say, like right now, half of the people listening to this are going to call me a racist for what I talked about for messaging, what I talked about for Hillary Clinton, and I'm just giving you my opinion as a journalist. And it's difficult to give your opinion when you're going to be called a racist, because that is a very slanderous thing. That is a very damaging and detrimental thing to accuse somebody of when they just want to be heard in America. We have freedom of speech. And sure, you have freedom of speech to call somebody a racist if you want to. But that's not the point. The point is, conversation is being hindered by racial slogans and racial labels now the 1994 crime bill they claim was passed out of malice the black lives matter movement 
claims was passed out of malice towards black communities. So Hillary Clinton countered that she and her husband were deeply concerned about black victims of crime and were simply acting out a desire to protect them. Uh, there's a quote that there was a very serious crime wave that was impacting primarily communities of color and poor people. And part of it that there was just not enough attention paid. So, you know, you could argue that people were trying to address that, including my husband when he was president, were responding to very real concerns of people in the communities themselves. Now, this is a very important point about many black Americans, many black Americans, including black leaders. They at the time, they welcomed these tough on crime policies, the way Black Lives Matter movement is spinning it today. They make it sound like only white people voted for this. And that's not true. That's not that's it's a matter of record who voted for this. It wasn't only white legislators. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, a majority of the Congressional Black Caucus voted for a 1986 law that created the sentencing disparity between crack and powder cocaine. Majority of black legislators voted for it. So, you know, you're going to call it a racist situation. Well, all these all these black individuals are obviously racist, according to the Black Lives Matter movement, which is why they have a messaging problem to begin with, because we're not talking about the fundamental problem. We're tossing around labels. We are we're we're hindering conversation. And then, by the way, this white supremacist bill that Hillary Clinton was questioned about, just as it happens, is a matter of record. Look it up. In 1994, it was the Congressional Black Caucus that saved President Clinton's crime bill after there was an unexpected loss on a procedural vote. So it was the CBC who saved the vote that Black Lives Matter are upset about now. Now, that's all history that's largely forgotten. And you can go ahead and look it up if you want to for yourself. But it's a fact, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I'm here. I'm Luke L. Giovanni on Renegade Talk Radio. We'll be right back in just a second. Great stuff coming up for you to go. That's Thank you for listening. Be right back. I'm calling about the ad in the advertiser. Yes. In the advertiser, yes. Yes. Uh huh. What would you? What? What are you calling on? I'm calling about the ad that you had in the advertiser. Uh, what was the ad I had? You had the ad for the sofa bed. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I had. Uh, it's sold. Yes. Okay. Uh huh. Yes. How much is it? It was sixty dollars, and I sold it. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, when should I come to pick it up? Uh, it's already sold. Yes, I know, but I'm the one who was going to buy it. Uh, no, you can't buy it because I've already I've sold it to somebody else. No, I want to buy it the sofa bed for $60. That's the good price. Uh, it has been sold. Somebody has already bought it. Okay. Well, uh, I want to buy it. You can't buy it when I've already sold it. Why not? It's sold. Okay, well, I'll take it. It's sold. I can't sell it to you because it's sold. Why not? It's sold. It's already sold. I don't care if it's already sold. I want this offer bed for $60. You put the ad in the advertiser. And I've already, somebody else has bought it. No, I, 
How can you buy? How can I sell it to two people? I can't sell it to two people. That's not fair for you to do because you put the ad in there. And I'm sorry, I, it's just not. I didn't put that ad in there just for you. I put it in there for anybody that wanted And the first person to come by, I sold it to her. Yes, and I'm the person who wants it. I swear you too late. Not. No, don't tell me that, because you put the ad in there, I read the ad, and I called, and I want to buy it. And what I told you is, you can't, I can't sell, I don't have but one, and it's sold. I know, and I'm the one who wants to buy it. It's $60, that's a good deal, you must admit. Non-stop shock radio, the station that shocks you. Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back, Renegade Talk Radio. My name is Luke El Giovanni. This is Luke El Giovanni's show. The most offensive, uncensored radio network in America. We're coming to the close of my show, and I have a little bit more information I want to share with you of another underreported story and how it's been skewed in the media. I want to tell you tonight, live from Studio D, about an EPA scandal that has not really received much attention, and it should have. Now, you think EPA scandal, a bunch of conservatives come out and say, oh, the EPA's a big scam. You know, they, they steal a bunch of money. They're faking climate change, even though we just had the hottest month on record in the history of uh, keeping track of temperatures. But that's not what this story's about, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what I'm going to tell you about. The EPA's highest paid employees, a man by the name of, used to be, used to be the highest paid employee, John C. Beal, who was earning a salary bonuses of $206,000, and he was making more money than the agency's administrator, Gina McCarthy. Now, uh, if you want to know a little bit about Mr. Beal, he retired earlier in this year. Uh, he was a New York University graduate with a master's from Princeton. Um, so, let me tell you, Mr. Beal was just sent to prison for 36 months for lying. What was he lying about? A very strange, very strange story. Mr. Beal was not going to work for the EPA while pulling his salary. And then why he was asked why he wasn't coming into the office, he was saying that he was a CIA operative. And he kept this story going for years. At one point, not showing up into his office for 18 months while collecting his money. And then when his boss said, hey, Beal, where are you? Why weren't you here? Well, 18 months. It's not like you took a week off or even a month off vacation. 18 months. Said, hey, I was doing clandestine work for the CIA. I can't get into it. You couldn't even tell anybody you work for the CIA. So automatically it's a lie and automatically he's giving away sensitive information. So because of this, Mr. Beal has been sentenced to 36 months in prison. Now, the way that Mr. Beal's crimes have been described by the judge, Judge Ellen Hoovel, said that Mr. Beal's lies were inexplicable and unbelievably egregious. Now, Beal has also agreed to pay back $1.3 million in restitution, even though he makes $200,000 a year. He has to pay back several years of salary for this lie that has been committed. Now, Beal was asked, why did I do this? Greed. Simple greed. And I'm ashamed of that greed, Beal said. He also said that it was a rush, and he got a sense of excitement by telling people that he worked for the CIA. It was something of an addiction. This false acclaim of another sociopathic government individual who's been bilking the taxpayers out of millions of dollars, despicable, disreputable, and I'm glad he's going to prison. Of course, people are going to go ahead and say, since he worked for the EPA, it's going to make everybody at the EPA look bad. It's going to discredit 
climate change science, going to discredit all the good work that the EPA has done, not saying that everything that they've done has been satisfactory. We talk about a big organization with thousands of employees in a nation of 300-something million people. Bad stuff's going to happen, but I believe in the EPA. However, this guy, he's going to prison 36 months. He's going to pay back some money. Now, when I, I just want to tell you that the prosecutor in this case said that Mr. Beal's crimes made him a poster child for what is wrong with the government and what is wrong in America. And I agree with that sentiment 100%. I hope he enjoys his time in prison. Perhaps he'll be uh, bunking with uh, former Virginia Governor Bob McDonald. Or perhaps he'll be bunking with Jared Fogle of Subway. Eat fresh. I don't know. Maybe. We'll follow the stir on Renegade Talk Radio. Uh, this is the end of my program. My name is Luke Giovanni. I am the uh, national crime reporter for Examiner.com, political reporter for Examiner.com. Editor-in-chief, ruthless-politics.com. Editor-in-chief of We Survive Bush, You'll Survive Obama. I'm a columnist for Anti-Media. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.